Welcome to this special edition podcast to highlight the Virtual International Day of the Midwife on the 5th of May 2020. I'm interviewing the members of the committee to give you an inside view of what goes on behind the scenes when organizing a live 24-hour event and an insight into the people who make it happen. The VIDM is an annual free online 24-hour conference celebrating International Day of the Midwife on the 5th of May. And um, thank you so much for joining me today, Jane. And if you could just tell me and the listeners a little bit more about yourself and where you are. All right. Well, thank you so much, Karen. And I'm delighted uh, to talk with everyone today. And actually a very beautiful Florida day um, in the United States of America. For those of you that are astute listeners out there, you probably noticed that I am actually don't have an American accent and one of the things that really brings me to the Virtual International Day of the Midwife is the international nature. Uh, I'm originally uh, from Scotland. I trained there as a nurse and a midwife and I've I've been able to work uh, in in many different countries around the world. So I've been in Florida for the last few years and um, just very happy to talk to all of you today. And thank you so much for for, um, arranging this with me. And you mentioned that you're working in Florida now. And is that in your capacity as a midwife or are you teaching? What are you doing at the moment? Well, that's a great question. So as an itinerant international midwife, I've had a lot of uh, different roles and positions uh, around the world. And currently, I'm the director of the DNP, which is the Doctor of Nursing Practice Program at Frontier Nursing University. And it's based in Kentucky, but luckily it's an online university. So we're able to offer online education to uh, nurse practitioners and nurse midwives around the United States and actually internationally as well. And I'm also uh, currently employed at a local birth center uh, as well. So I still like to get involved in pregnancy and birth. That's fantastic. So you're already working in an online university and... As you say, you know, this really is the way of the future and especially with what we're experiencing at the moment with the coronavirus and social distancing and isolation, it, it is the way of the future potentially being able to offer online education and people are going to, to have to turn to this um, more frequently. Yes, you know, if you think about telehealth, um, especially for pregnancy, I've been involved in telehealth for many years, utilizing platforms similar to Zoom or Skype. I've been able to have um, especially the partner or the father uh, Skype in uh, when they've been away in another country, Iraq. Populations, a lot of their pregnancy visits are via telehealth. So yeah, we're we're ahead of the curve, but it's definitely something that's um, here and we're, we're working to perfect it. I have a beautiful story about telehealth, actually, and being able to, to Skype in to couples from around the world where I had a woman in Canada and her husband was in Qatar and I was in Oman and she went into labor and he called me and got her in on the call and we had a three-way conversation. He managed to arrange a flight back and he got there in time for her birth. And while he was en route, we were in touch and I was coaching her through the labor and guiding her as to when to go to the hospital and what was happening. And, and it worked incredibly well. And while it's not something we actively encourage, 
you know, it's, it's something that can definitely work in the right circumstances. Well, it, well absolutely. And, and they can, you can still have a very interactive experience. So one of the lovely births that I was involved in, uh, the patient's uh, partner was deployed in Iraq. So he's sitting on his little bunk. He's coaching her through where they're live. We've got the laptop right beside her. He's so amazing. He's right kind of in her face, telling her how amazing she was. He was able to see the birth. We made sure he saw the baby. And um, it was just it was just extremely um, moving how we can actually facilitate things uh, with simple, simple uh, technology now that's available. And that's one of the things I really like about VIDM is about involving equity. It's a very equal platform um, that we're able to use around the world in, in different um, settings, especially in low resource settings. If we think about those settings, most people now actually have access uh, to Wi-Fi um, and smartphones. So they're able to actually be a part, be a, a strong part of the, the conference and be able to take part in, in all the activities of the conference. Absolutely. I mean, that's just the wonderful thing about it. And in fact, that's my next question is how, how would you explain the VIDM to someone who's never heard of it before? So I explain it as a 24-hour online offering that's free. It's, um, one of our other members says it's not carbon neutral because we're using uh, electricity, but I think we're pretty close um, to being very green. So it appeals to everyone. It's, it's equitable. As I said, anyone can access it. We have people folks, midwives, healthcare providers from all over the world. And it's very interesting if you, if you look at the, the presentations for folks um, that, that come in, you know, uh, the world is getting smaller, right? And we know that um, the things that are affecting maybe people in Africa are also affecting people in Asia, are also affecting people in Europe, affecting the Americas, um, affecting um, every part of the world. So it's, it's really an open access platform where you can hear the latest and greatest information about how we take care of families uh, and women uh, with regard to um, excellence in, in childbirth and um, all the aspects surrounding that, just with a very simple uh, Wi-Fi platform that people can engage in um, remotely. And why did you originally join the VIDM and how did you get involved in it? Oh, another great question. Um, <laughs> well, I like to talk, so you can probably tell. I, 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 my father used to say, you like the sound of your own voice. But uh, um, So I was originally a presenter and people, you know, especially younger midwives and healthcare providers might be shy, might say, well, you know, I can't, I can't really speak at an international conference, but you'll find that, you know, it really helps. Um, the utility of the platform is so good that we get a really broad range of ages presenting. So how I got involved was uh, when I did my uh, doctoral proposal, um, I had done some work in water birth because it's a big interest of mine. And actually, uh, Linda Wiley, who's one of the other committee members, uh, we should get published. So then I thought, well, I'm going to make a, a big um, presentation based on this. So then I actually be, was a presenter. So I got to know some of the other folks on the on the committee and um, a, an opportunity to come up. One of the other um, uh, committee members was actually um, on sabbatical. So um, 
she had suggested there was an opening. So I was able to interview her for the opening to become uh, one of the um, committee members. So that's how I, I got involved. I've been involved on and off for many years, but probably at the last uh, five years as one of the committee that helps to put this amazing uh, program together. And it truly is an amazing program. I feel very honored to be part of it this year for the first time. And um, as you say, because things are changing so fast, I think it's going to be something, you know, that can really grow and expand and that people are possibly going to become more aware of because um, of the need to move to a more online space. Well, that's exactly right. And many of the national conferences here uh, for light nurse practitioners and midwives are, are now directly online. And we're, we're very lucky. We have at least two people that are very specialized in information technology that really help us. But we are a small organization. As you're aware, Karen, I'm sure we have no budget. So mm. we need to get word of mouth. You know, we're very grassroots. We get really good attendance, but we'd love to be uh, better known as Virtual International Day of the Midwife to, to increase attendance and uh, for folks to be able to access um, the discussions, which are, we record everything and we're always able, we, we put them out on our YouTube channel. So you're also able to access everything uh, on YouTube and on our uh, website, vidm.org. We also place all them there. So you can, and you can go there and you can go in our archive also and listen to previous years talks as well so we're very lucky um, we don't just have uh, boring old midwives like me there's uh, young interesting midwives from all over the world and there's also people that work in IT which we are so blessed to have them in, in the committee that they are so good and so calm when we are facilitating I mean like for example I might be sitting in Florida and I'm facilitating a talk from somebody in Uganda or London or um, you know anywhere around the world so it's great to have the support um, of everyone on the committee everyone brings such amazing helpful skills and we're all you know we it's really good how we mesh um, we talked a little bit I think at the beginning we've not actually met all of you know we haven't met each other in person some of us have met uh, most of us but I don't think uh, we, none of us know all of us live and that's a very interesting relationship as well that you have have virtual friends that we're meet but we're so in fact yeah absolutely I think that's, yes exactly yeah um and I, as I said in the beginning it's it's wonderful for me because I'm really getting the opportunity to speak to everyone as opposed to just seeing the names and it's really helping me to feel more part of it and um it gives me a much better understanding as well of the diversity of the team. Um, and as you say, how many people are just coming together on a voluntary basis and giving their time and their skills to grow this platform? Well, that, that's true. I mean, it did start, I believe it started in um, New Zealand. Um, it's very small. Um, you know, there was a few presentations and a small amount of um, people on the committee. And it's really evolved into this. Uh, very still still very intimate a uh, group of people are able to offer this um, 24 hour conference with also Spanish now for the last couple of years we've been able to offer English and Spanish because we need to appeal to not just Anglophone countries we'd like to appeal to many countries around the world 
we have diverse people on the committee that are able to offer those skills. And we also have a student stream because we do know, uh, for example, in America, where I live, the average age of a midwife is just slightly older than me at 55. So we have to think about how we appeal to students and uh, getting them involved as well. And we're very glad in the last couple of years we've been able to hire, not hire because they don't get paid, uh, but the people on the committee are younger, our, our, our demographic has changed significantly, which is really great uh, for you know younger people that, that they bring a completely new energy uh, to our committee. So it's really interesting that you bring up the um, age of the average midwife in the States being around about 50 and upwards. And we are facing a similar challenge in South Africa in that the majority of the established midwives who are still practicing and who have in excess of 20 to 30 years of experience, we're all in our 50s and we're all sort of heading towards retirement, not saying that we, you know, we are retiring, but, you know, we've only got 10 to 15 years left and there's just not enough student midwives coming in and following through. We're not working with enough student midwives. We're not teaching enough student midwives. And I think it's, it's, it's been highlighted in the last couple of weeks where, although we've been saying for years that um, birth doesn't really belong in hospitals, for sick people, it's all of a sudden become a reality now where really sick people are in the hospitals and pregnant women are saying, hang on a second, I don't want to actually go into this environment with this virus that is so rampant. And I know that in my practice, I've had a, a huge influx of calls of women now requesting home births, and we just don't have the infrastructure and the support system to be able to support those home births. And if it does cause the change that we've always been hoping for in that birth, you know, people moved back to having their births at home, we need to have enough midwives to support that. And right now we don't. Well, your point is so well taken. I was just actually talking about this same issue yesterday for the weekend and then reflecting on it this morning. Um, a birth center uh, midwife, we do have... We all, I also work in the hospital setting, but a lot of our clients now are saying, you know, they don't really want to go to the hospital unless it's for an emergency, even though they'd planned. And these are these are maybe nurses even in the community that are our clients. Um, they've now opted to say that they would prefer a birth outside of the hospital. And it would be so good uh, for world midwifery if we recognize that um, the, the safest and best place for the vast majority of healthy women, low-risk women, is um, at a, a setting that's not a hospital. And we're, we're going to actually see that. I mean, in Florida, we're probably looking at, in the next two weeks, the, the health system itself, the institutions of the health system will be overwhelmed with very sick people. So we, we, it will be the opportunity um, that we're looking for. And I, I did want to give a plug um, for the university I work for. For those of you that you don't know, our university was started by a, a woman, um, Mary Breckenridge, who actually helped construction of France uh, in 1918. She was an American uh, nurse and she saw uh, many myriad problems. Um, France was very decimated in the, in the First World War. 
And through her work, she was able to see that nursing and midwifery, and in this 2020 year of the nurse and midwife, we can see that the, the impact of nurses with their training and education and then midwives being able to take care of the whole family, as it were, were crucial. So she went actually over to London and trained as a midwife, and she discovered that the, the model uh, of nursing and midwifery that work, would work best back in her uh, place where her relatives were in eastern Kentucky was actually the model in the Highlands and Islands of Scotland. So she took this model back, which became the, the nursing service, which now developed into the university that we have uh, today, which does talk about caring for rural and underserved women and families uh, in, in settings, in rural settings where there is a lack of care. So it's, it's a model that, you know, we're all like, oh, this is, you know, people think that fact, you know, I was like to say it's the oldest profession um, <laughs> or whatever that entails. But, um, you know, this, we, we have to, what, what, uh, what is old is new again. You know, we have to look at these models of keeping healthy. I mean, babies, we don't want to have healthy babies and families going uh, to hospitals when they could very well um stay healthy and stay out uh, of mm. the institutions that are housing rightly the very ill and very sick in our communities. So um, I'm, I'm excited for this opportunity for, for midwifery to get back to its original footing as one of, one of the most important uh, roles uh, and professions in, in our society today. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think that you brought up an important point is that it's not necessarily home birth, but just birth in a setting that is outside of the hospital setting. So, you know, just having standalone units that only deal with birthing moms and families so that they're not included in the main hospital setting, which is essentially for people who are ill or undergoing surgical procedures. Well, that's, it. that's exactly right. Exactly right, Karen. Yeah. So what would you say the biggest challenge that we are facing right now um, is? And of course, this could be anything to do, you know, up until two weeks ago, this was to do with maternity and, and what we're facing as midwives. But given where we are right now, if you were answering that at present, you know, you feel free to include what's happened in the last 10 days <laughs> and how that's impacted everything, you know, as we've just discussed such an important time for leadership which you know for some of our countries around the world and the states in America there does seem to be excellence in leadership but really um, getting to the crux of the issue talking about what will work for the people you know finding kindness and everything I, I, um, I work um, with an organization for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and Don Berwick is the head of that and he, he did talk about kindness above all. So working with kindness to make sure that we all we are all humans. Each of us is a human being, whether we're in Scotland or Zimbabwe or uh, New Zealand or wherever we, we may live. We, we always um, offer our care uh, with kindness to everyone. And one of the, the, the particular concerns at the moment for me um, is students because I, I have many hundreds of students enrolled in my programs they're confused they're anxious you know 
um, they're supposed to be in clinical sites. They're all nurse practitioners and nurse midwives. They're dealing with myriad problems. So, so taking a leadership role to make sure that to the best of our ability that we are supporting and caring uh, for, for everyone on the team in this time of duress, making sure we understand that yeah, everyone has a family, everyone has concerns. You know, if, if you're working in a high risk situation, how, how do we best support uh, those people that are exposed to increased risks of um, coronavirus? So um, making sure that, that we know um, what the risks are to each of us and then, you know, offering leadership um, in, in this uncertain time to make sure that, that the people in your circle of care feel supported and loved and uh, involved um, that we will get through this and there will be a future difference in 2021 but we are going to get through this uh, with the support and kindness uh, to each other which is essential. Well in many ways you've actually answered my next question because you've painted such a beautiful picture of how it could be and and that was my question to share your dream of of the of the perfect world, if you had a magic wand and you were able to to wave it over and change all the things that aren't working right now in terms of specifically maternity and 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 midwifery and caring for mothers and babies and families um, so i don't know if you would like to add anything to that, although like I say, you did paint a really beautiful picture of how things would be different if we treated everyone with kindness and respect well i do I do have one thing so i read a lot of uh, history i'm very interested in the history of the world and i think about the evolution of passports and, and like you uh, as an international person the first thing and the only thing i ever pack apart from my toothbrush is my passport mm-hmm. so we think about the evolution of the passport and how did we get permission you know it evolved from having a letter from the king or queen you had safe passage and you would have a letter that said i guarantee as this person is my subject that they will have safe passage to whichever country in the world and unfortunately that has devolved into i understand you know we have to have rules and regulations um, about immigration and traveling to other countries particularly this time but there was some way you know to just be able to transport like one person that needed to have midwifery care or you yourself like I was used to watch there was used to be a show here called Star Trek and and you could do time travel like you could travel through Mm -hmm. um, time and space but just being able to be there and that's why I think you know if we think about what we're doing now virtually um, it really is giving us a window into other people's lives like how do we get that um that window into other people's lives. Where I where I work, there's a city called Jacksonville, which is close by, and it's the most uh, multicultural city in Florida now. But we can actually, we don't even need to travel anymore if we think about the evolution of immigration. We are able to take care of so many diverse uh, people uh, throughout our care as midwives that we actually are able to achieve our dream just by going to your doorstep and welcoming welcoming everyone to midwifery and nursing and the importance uh, of midwifery care for all people. Absolutely, that's a beautiful answer. And in many ways, I think that this is what the, one of the 
the gifts that is being shared with us through the coronavirus in that we are being forced to do things differently. And for pregnant people, it's making them re-look at their choices from a point of safety that they'd never considered before. The safety that they considered previously was around mom and baby and pregnancy and birth, but not around um, potential infection. And so they're asking different questions. And I think that in many ways, that's a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And, and if we think about like the Lancet series about putting the client or part, uh, pregnant person or however you term them around the world, putting them at the centre of the care. So that's what this is really doing. You know, if we can do telehealth, you know, because we're just saying, oh, if we're still seeing patients in clinic, well, they can just come in by themselves. But for many cultures, you know, we put the, the pregnant client at the centre, but we need the partner, we need the mom, we need the sister, we need the children. Then we need the, the different types of care. We circle her with midwifery care, but then we need to have, for this small cadre of patients that require higher level care, we do need our specialists, our maternal fetal medicine folks, and our OBGYNs to be able to offer uh, full care. But re, as, as, you know, if we look back, putting the client at the centre of the care, um, that's really going to be key and so that, that they're empowered, they have shared decision making, they make the right choices for themselves and their family. And this may be, this is one of the things I do lecture on is about shared decision making. You know, pregnancy and birth, this may be the first time your client has been empowered. She, uh, they have been able to make these crucial decisions and, and women's lives change after um, empowering birth because they're able to see that they've done this incredible, powerful thing and they're able to move forward into society as an empowered person with a voice that can make um, decisions, not just affecting themselves, but uh, for their whole community. I couldn't agree more. And I found it so frustrating when um, what we're doing essentially when we're not empowering women, when we are not including them in the decision-making process, when we are not allowing choice, what happens is we control all of those decisions in the way that she births. And as soon as she gets home, we're expecting her to now all of a sudden make these huge decisions when we've just completely disempowered her and made her believe that she doesn't have a voice or an opinion or any valid information or input into that. And now she's sitting at home with a newborn baby and a thousand questions and a huge responsibility and feeling as if she doesn't know how to do it and coming back to us and asking us those, those, all of those really important questions. And we're saying, well, it's your baby and it's, you know, get on with it. But um, it was her baby when it was in her belly and we, we didn't allow her to make those choices or to think for herself then. Right. And if you think of something very important like lactation, you've you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, we, we talk about this, re, eat this, um, don't eat that, take this thing, don't do that. Um, instead of, you know, circling around her and saying, what, what do you actually need from us? You know, what, mm. what's your understanding of breastfeeding? What's your thoughts about it culturally? You might feel that some, some folks here um, feel embarrassed. They, they, you know, they've never thought about breastfeeding they may have come up in a, in a, a culture where 
bottle feeding was the norm. So then, as you said, they're, they're in an institution, they have a very medicalized birth, that their, their control is taken away. And then, um, I, you know, I used to live in New Zealand and I loved it because we used to have, they used to be called beepers for the younger generation. They won't know what they are, but they were before cell phones. But it was great because we had fully integrated maternity care where we could um, have the patients, the clients, have the birth where they desired. And then we were able to do full home visits, um, you know, for, for uh, many weeks if required. And we also had what's called plunket rooms, which were where patients could go um, postpartum and have support from specialists in lactation and social work and have a meal with other uh, their peers that adjusted babies and uh, get you know get the extra help for to be um, successfully um, able to breastfeed their newborn baby because you know where where I currently work we have a, a small opportunity to do lactation support but not enough and we give we give them uh, a piece of paper it says here's yeah. how to breastfeed your baby well I don't think anyone successfully breastfed a baby w- with a piece of paper so. Um, but I totally take your point uh, that it should be from, you know, even before conception. And one of the things about American uh, nurse midwifery is that we're able to take care of, of patients that aren't pregnant, um, that have no intention of ever being pregnant. But, um, you know, we do a lot of women's health as well. So we're able to talk to them before they ever consider uh, pregnancy and birth and talk about how to empower yourself and make these decisions and right uh, right care um, how to involve yourself in right care for you and your family and that may that that's the problem Karen you know um, the American healthcare system unfortunately exists uh, for the almighty dollar so it's not you know it's not helpful if a woman comes and she is knowledgeable and you know she doesn't really need us we're you know we we can offer a lot of support and education but um, we want to bill for excessive amounts of we call them OB visits unfortunately here prenatal care um, there's global packages it costs three times as much to have a baby here as it does for example in the UK because everyone has to have a piece of the pie mm. so I think you know you're right about coronavirus pandemic um, the world's going to look completely different in mm. six months you know hopefully we've we've realized that you know we've got to have these emergency um scenarios but we've got to take care of most people um with care yeah. and with education and make sure that i mean having having an empowering birth especially for your first birth is so powerful for society you know you have you uh, adapt to um parenthood you're you know you're supported you feel amazing whereas if you have a, a very uh a very difficult birth that's you know exhausting that you you feel that you've experienced severe trauma it's very difficult when you decide that you might um get pregnant again you know and, and then we say oh well it's okay we'll give you let's give you some uh, anti-anxiety medication when we yeah. should actually be talking about how do we process through that so that you can actually experience this such an empowering healthy birth that should be are the right of everyone around the world because it's the first decision you make as a parent and it's the first of about a million gazillion decisions and if that first one is taken away from you or made difficult or made made it feel as if it's not actually your decision 
then the, the next million are going to be even more difficult. Well, that, well, that's, again, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, when, when we talk, you know, this is an international issue affecting women. You know, we should be spending a lot more time uh, and energy talking about this than, than some of the decisions that are currently being made, because we need to make sure that women experience uh, safe and healthy birth. Well, I think that's a beautiful note to end off this um interview and thank you so much it's been so interesting chatting to you and um, getting your insights especially in the light of the changes that have happened in the last week and the impact that it has on midwifery maternity and mothers and babies and families and society it's just so it's um yeah we can't isolate it so thank you so much thank you so much karen it's been great talking with you too